good to see you guys this morning. And uh, I ask that you turn to Deuteronomy chapter 28, where we will be this morning as we continue to worship the Lord together uh, through the reading of Scripture and proclamation of the Gospel. Uh, we've been um, in Deuteronomy for several months on and off, and we have taken a short break uh, to go through our purpose, vision, and mission as a church, and now we are returning to Deuteronomy 28, uh, where we will um, have seven more sermons, and uh, then we will go to uh, the Gospel of Matthew uh, at the end of this year. So we have a lot of good things in store. Uh, Let me pray as we dive into Scripture this morning. Father God in heaven, we thank you that you are a good and holy God. God, we thank you that you indeed um, are our salvation that you are a God of grace, of steadfast love, and that Christ, you are the solid rock on which we stand. God, I pray now as we read your word and hear your gospel, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would stir up our minds, attention, and hearts affection to you. God, that you would convict us of sin to repent of, that you would inspire belief within our hearts in the gospel God, that you would spur us on to good works and good deeds in light of the new identity we have in Christ. God, I pray that in all things you receive glory, that we receive great joy, and that the world may know the good name of Jesus. We ask in his holy name. Amen. I need to change the mic. We're having a check. You got me? Check. All right, there we go. Uh, we're going old school today with the handheld mic. I'll break down a verse or two, drop it, walk away. Um, but no, I apologize. Hopefully the uh, technology will not distract us from the word of the Lord this morning. So Deuteronomy 28. Uh, The first 14 verses say this. And if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Blessed shall you be in the city and blessed shall you be in the field. Blessed shall be the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground and the fruit of your cattle, the increase of your herds, the young of your flock. Blessed shall be the basket of your kneading bowl. Blessed shall you be when you come in and blessed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before you. They shall come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways. The Lord will command the blessings the blessing on you in your barns and all that you shall undertake, and he shall bless you in the land that the Lord your God has given you. The Lord will establish you as a people holy to himself as he has sworn to you, if you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways. And all the peoples of the earth shall see that you were called by the name of the Lord, and they shall be afraid of you. And the Lord will make you abound in prosperity in the fruit of your womb and in the fruit of your livestock and the fruit of the ground within the land that the Lord swore to your fathers to give you. The Lord will open to you his good treasury, the heavens, 
to give the rain to your land in its season and to bless all the work of your hands. And you shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. And the Lord will make you the head and not the tail, and you shall, you shall only go up and not down if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, being careful to do them. And if you do not turn aside from any of the words that I command you today to the right hand or to the left or go after God's to serve them. This is God's word for us. Friends, we see in Scripture that obedience to God's commands brings Him glory, brings blessing to His people, and is of great influence of the gospel to the culture around us. If you've been tracking with the story of Deuteronomy, you know that God's people were in bondage in Egypt for several generations. God, by His grace and for His glory, set His people free to lead them to a land that He had promised them for generations. Leading them to a land where they could thrive in identity as God's people, as His kingdom, uh, as His children. Uh, But this journey took nearly 40 years and was riddled with doubt, fear, rebellion, And so time and time again, God is calling his people to repentance, calling his people to trust who he is as their God, to trust who they, uh, who he is for them and how they are to live as his people, to trust the identity that God has secured for them so that they would grow in holiness. And this is displayed by obedience to what he commands. Now, for you and I today, we look at this and we see some commands that maybe uh, we wrestle with of what part of the Old Testament applies to us and what part does not. And maybe we see even some blessings that you're thinking, I don't own any cattle, I do not have a kneading bowl. What does this mean? But there are uh, truths about God and implications for you and I in Christ that we see in Deuteronomy 28. We see that all of the Old Testament points us to Jesus, leads us to Jesus, that Jesus fulfills all of the Old Testament expectations, and the God who is the God of the Old Testament loving his people Israel is the same God who loves you and I in Jesus Christ. And there are instructions for you and I today about holiness, about obedience, about being the recipient of blessing, about being an influence with the gospel of Jesus in our culture today. And so we're going to look at these things together today, but I want to start by asking you a couple questions to ponder at the beginning that we will come back to at the end of the message today. The first is this, how do you define holiness? What does it mean to be holy? What does holiness look like to you in your life? Because we want it to be defined Biblically, how do you pursue that holiness? Secondly, this is obedience. So we're looking at how do you define holiness and what does it look like in your life and how do you pursue it? But secondly, do you obey the commands of God? If you're not a Christian, we don't expect you to. If you are a Christian, we expect you to obey the commands of God. But I want to ask you, if, if you do that, do you first Secondly, what is your motivation to obey God? Maybe you're here and you have no motivation to obey God whatsoever. Maybe you're thinking, I am saved by grace, therefore I don't have to obey any of this because when I die, I'll go be with Jesus forever because I'm forgiven. Or maybe you're here thinking, I want to obey so that I can become holy. 
I want to obey so that God won't send me to hell. I want to obey so maybe things will go well for me. I want to obey because I can't obey because I'm so strong and smart and moral. Because, friends, as we look at what holiness is and we look at what obedience is, I want us to see how those two things are connected biblically and not religiously. Biblically and not culturally. Biblically and not nouveau, philosophical, spiritual, whatever. I want us to see the connection between holiness and obedience and blessing as defined by the Bible. Because here's a couple things that you will find very common. It's often to see holiness as a biblical definition has been hijacked, and people will tell you that you are holy because of what you do. If you want to be holy, you better obey this, do that, think this way, articulate this way, serve this way, and if you do not do those things exactly like that, then you are not holy. It's not biblical. It can be churchy. It can be religious, but it's not biblical. I'm just going to tell you that. Or you can hear people say, uh, if you obey, then God will love you. If you obey, then God will accept you. If you obey his commands, then that is what makes you a Christian. Friends, I will tell you that's not fully biblical. It's religious, but it's missing the gospel of grace in it. Also, if you read this and you hear about God opening up heaven and just pouring down prosperity on his people, that idea of blessing has been hijacked because often blessing is equated to financial security and abundance. And people are saying, hey, if you live this way, then God will give you lots of money. Or if you obey this way, then God will bless you with finances galore. And the prosperity gospel is not prosperous, nor is it the gospel, but it's very popular in our culture today religiously. So I want us to look at holiness, I want us to look at obedience, I want us to look at blessing and see what this meant for Israel in the Old Testament and what that means for you and I in Jesus Christ today. You with me? First, let's look at holiness. I want us to see that first and foremost, holiness is established by the Lord God for us. You can see chapter 28 begins with faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God being careful to do his commandments that I command you today. The Lord will set you high above the nations of the earth, and all these blessings shall come, above, uh, come upon you and overtake you if you obey the voice of the Lord. Chapter 28 begins with, hey, obedience, obey the Lord, obey him. There is obedience, there are commandments, you are to do these things. Yes, you are to do these commandments of the Lord, and if you do them, blessing will come upon you. What does this have to do with holiness? Look at verse... Nine, the Lord will establish you as a people holy to himself, as he has sworn to you. If you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways. Verse nine is key to understanding this whole passage about holiness and obedience and blessing. Because we can read verse 9 and think, okay, if I obey the commandments of the Lord, then I am holy. You can see how we can get there, right? You can say, well, Jeremy, it says right there, uh, you'll be holy if you keep the commandments of the Lord and if you walk in his ways. How does the verse start? The Lord will establish you as a people holy to himself as he has sworn to you. Friends, 
we have to start at the beginning of the sentence. Nowhere in here does it say, if you want to be holy, do the commandments of the Lord, and that's what makes you become holy. No, holiness is defined by the Lord. It is God's doing to establish you. He does it because he's God. He does it because he promised it to his people for generations. That's how and why he does it. Holiness is not initiated by you. It's not conjured up by you. I don't care what theology degree you may have or pursue or what book you've read or what style of whatever that you ascribe to. Those things do not make you holy. They do not define you as holy. God may use them. He may not. I don't know. I just know the Bible says the Lord establishes his people as holy to himself and he's sworn to do that. And that's enough for me to get started down my journey toward holiness. Are you with me? Because, friends, I, my heart breaks when I hear people misconstrue holiness and, and maybe break it down into the many facets and caveats that are beautiful and wonderful and cool and theological. I love to discuss them. But at the end of the day, if at any point somebody says, hey, you're not holy because you're not doing X, Y, and Z, I'm like, man, you, you don't do that. Don't come up to me and start talking about what holiness, how I'm not holy because of this, or how you're, you notice some guy who's not holy because of X, Y, and Z. And if you, if you don't start with the, where verse 9 starts, with the Lord will establish you as a people holy to himself as he has sworn to you, you've got to start with that sentence before I'm willing to entertain the conversation. Because holiness is about God setting his people apart for a purpose. It's about an identity that God has promised to give his people, and he will do it. You look at Deuteronomy, you look at Exodus, you look at Israel for 40 years. They rebelled, they were idolatrous, they were like doubtful, they didn't trust God, they were messed up, and time and time again God said, repent, repent, believe, repent, believe, repent, believe. At no point did he say, you are not my people anymore. The whole time he's saying, you are my people, act like my people. You are my people, don't rebel anymore. You are my people, obey me. You are my people, repent, repent, obey, believe. Time and time again, God says this. At no point does he say, oh, you doubt, you're not my people anymore. At no point does God say, hey, you're, you're wavering in your faith a little, you disobeyed, you're not my people anymore. The Lord will establish you as a people holy to himself. You want to know what holiness is? The word holy comes from the Old Testament temple imagery of being set apart for a purpose defined by God, for the purpose of worship and service. Did you know that? It, you know, holiness in the temple worship of Old Testament could be used to define like a, a bowl or a candlestick, or an item that was designated, was identified. This is a holy object. It is, it is defined and designated to be used for a certain purpose. It was marked as holy. Now, if a priest in the temple were to misuse it or handle it, it could become dirty and defiled, and at no point was it not a holy item anymore. It just needed to be re-consecrated for holiness. There was a cleansing and purification process. There was all of these religious things that had to happen for an object, object that was already defined as holy to be used for holy use time and time again. You want to know why that's important for you and I? Because God in Christ has marked you as a holy person, period. 
He has he has promised to do that to Israel. For you and I, we are promised that in Christ that the Lord will establish you as a people holy to Himself, as He has sworn to you. All right, that, that's you are identified as a holy person. Now, what happens is we get messed up, we sin, we doubt, we fail, and therefore we have to not only be reminded of our holy identity, but we have to grow in holiness. And and sanctification, that's called. It's a process of growing to become more like Christ. But at the end of the day, holiness is an identity that's designated upon God's people by God himself. And I want to ask you this because here's where I see many Christians get stagnant. Is the second you think, I've been designated for a holy purpose, therefore I don't want to get dirty again. I don't want to be around people who aren't holy. I don't want to get sin on me again because God says I'm holy and wants me to live holy. Therefore, I'm going to keep myself at a distance from that non-Christian over there. I'm going to keep myself at a distance from that person there or that couple or that whatever. I want to stay out of the culture because I don't want to get unholy and dirty again. And even when we start having personal sin and doubt and rebellion in our hearts, we don't want to confess it or talk about it because we don't want people to know that maybe we're not holy because we're afraid we're not holy anymore. And friends, let me tell you, that stagnates mission, that stagnates personal growth, that stagnates holiness in general. Because we think holiness is only about the identity part and not about the process being used for holy purposes. You with me? Nowhere in the Old Testament temple worship was something designated as holy. So this is a holy lampstand. This is a holy candlestick. And it was put somewhere on a shelf and behind a curtain and ignored forever. Anything that was identified as a holy object was used for holy purposes and probably got dirty and had to be washed and clean and purified every time it was used. You with me? Ferris Bueller. We're going to go to Ferris Bueller. There's no segue for this. You guys know the movie Ferris Bueller? Of course you do. It's a great film out of the 80s. If you haven't seen it, go rent it or just buy it. It's probably five bucks at Walmart. Go buy it. Watch it. Ferris Bueller was one of my favorite movies My senior quote in high school came from the movie Ferris Bueller. It's a brilliant, funny film about a kid who who just fakes sickness to just hang out with his girlfriend and his best friend all day in Chicago. It's a very God-honoring film. But there's this one part that I love, all right? So, so Ferris, his girlfriend Sloan Peterson, and then his best friend, you know his best friend's name? Who said it? Cameron? There you go. Praise God. There's some so it's four people that are tracking with this illustration. All right, Cameron was kind of a hypochondriac, kind of a nervous wreck. And if you know the story, Cameron's dad had this amazing Ferrari. Remember the red convertible that was in the garage? And Ferris gets the great idea, hey, we should take this out joyriding for the day. And Cameron's like, no, 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 you don't, you don't understand. My, my father never drives this thing. He just keeps it parked in the garage, wipes it with a diaper. He never drives it. And if you know the story, they tell you, they're like, well, hey, you know, we can take the miles off the odometer by driving it backwards. Doesn't work. Cameron freaks out. He's like, I don't want somebody to drive it. It might get scratched. It might get dented. It might get breathed on wrong. Remember that line? Best line of the movie. And if you know the story, they take the car out. Some other guys joyride it, put so many miles on it. 
They're trying to, I'm spoiling the movie for you. It's a very small part of the movie. They take it back to the garage. They say, man, my dad's going to kill me. It's obvious that we took this thing out of the garage. We put so many miles on it. So they jack the thing up, put it in reverse by putting a brake on the gas, thinking that it going in reverse is going to take the miles off the odometer so that nobody would know that it was used. And in the process, Cameron gets mad, kicks in the front of the hood, it falls off the jack, backs out of the garage, off a cliff, and explodes in the woods. And he's in deep. And I was thinking about this movie this week because I'm weird and I love the 80s. And I was, 80s movies are like my go-to place when I'm discouraged. If, if I'm ever sick or sad, just point me to Jesus and then point me to like 80s movies. John Hughes, John Cusack, anything 80s. But I was thinking about this this week. That when it comes to Christians... If you're not a Christian, hang with me because this may apply to you. But if you are a Christian, tune in tight here because I think Christians in our Christian culture think holiness is our thing that we keep in our garage. We think, oh, my personal holiness is the red convertible Ferrari. We don't want to take it out of the garage lest it get dented, scratched, or breathed on wrong. We, we don't want to expose our personal struggles and doubts and fears and issues because people might see so we're just gonna we're just gonna keep it in this little garage and wipe it down with a diaper we don't want to connect with non-christians lest we become less holy we want to do it right we want to do it proper we want to stay clean we want to know the right stuff and say the right stuff and let me tell you you know what ends up happening when you try to cover up and hide like that You, you get home and figure out you know i'm not as proper as I thought I was. Let me take the miles off the odometer and you end up, your holiness ends up backing out of the garage off a cliff, crashing and burning. I don't want my holiness to do that. Let me tell you, here's the good news. If your holiness, if your identity, if your growing like Jesus is rooted in the fact that the Lord will establish you as a people holy to himself as he has sworn to you, if that's where you camp out for the source of your holiness, you'll be more confident to drive the car out of the garage. You with me? Because otherwise, if you, if you think your being holy is determined solely by what you do, don't do, and not do, and who you stay away from, you become isolated, and you're like a Ferrari that never drives. The whole point of a Ferrari like that is to drive out there and be awesome with the wind blowing in your hair or your beard, depending. So friends, if you believe, like you should, that in Christ the Lord is establishing us as a people, holy, as a holy identity, a purpose that is Godward and godly, then, then you trust in him and trust in that and realize that the purpose of holiness is not just a static state, but it is a, it is a movement within you and through you and with us out there doing holy things. We're going to get to that. I'm connected dots here. We've got to move on. First is holiness is established by the Lord. Not, not you, not what you do, not what you've done or don't do or where you go or staying in your garage. Staying in a garage does not make you holy. Blessing, this is the second point. Blessing is bestowed by God through obedience. Okay, the Lord will, verse 9, the Lord will establish himself, a peop, uh, establish you as a people holy to himself as he has sworn to you. If you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways, and all the people of the earth shall she, see that you are called by the name 
of the Lord. So that's verse 9. Take it back to verse 1 and 2. If you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above the nations of the earth, and all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you obey the voice of the Lord your God. In between verses 1 and 9 is sandwiched a list of blessings. Blessed shall you be in the city. Blessed shall you be in the field. Blessed shall you be in the fruit of your womb, the fruit of your ground, cattle, your herds, your flock, your basket, your kneading bowl. When you come in, when you go out, a lot of blessing going on. Let's talk about it. To be blessed biblically means to be a state in a state of receiving grace from God. That's what blessed is. It doesn't necessarily mean that you have a really fat bank account. It may not mean that you are in super duper health all the time. It doesn't mean that things are going easy for you at work or school or in your neighborhood. It doesn't mean that you are the most relatable person or popular person. Blessed means that you are in a state of receiving grace from God. That's what that means. It may look different in your life than my life. But the good news is that you are getting grace and love from God the Father. That's what blessing is. Now, it can mean freedom. It can mean prosperity. It can mean happiness. It can mean fortunate. It is grace from God that he chooses to grant through obedience. Now, here's what I want us to see. Obeying God is a mark of identity. It doesn't make you belong to him. It's a, it's a display that you belong to God. And I want us to get that straight, because if you are motivated to obey God so that you will be accepted by him, you're missing the point. If you know that in Christ, God is establishing you as a people holy to himself, he's sworn to do that in Christ, you are God's son, You are God's daughter. You belong to the king of the universe, and he loves you. If you just grasp that and just sit in that, it's so much better. Then you think, well, because of that, I want to obey God. I want to obey God not so that he will love and accept me, but because he already loves and accepts me. I want things to go well. I want to be in tune with God. I want to be understanding and receiving and just being wrapped up in the grace of God. I love the statement here in verse 2. All of these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you. Isn't that a beautiful imagery? If blessing, so you know, if you look at this and say, well, if I do right, then God will give me piles of gold. Some people think that. They say, well, blessing means I will make lots of money. That's not what this says here. I mean, grace is like a, like a blanket. <laughs> I mean, it's like God is saying, I will bless you by taking this blanket of grace and love and just wrapping you up tight in it. That's the imagery we see here. The blessings shall come upon you and overtake you. It is God draping this blanket of love and grace around you. You see, Israel in the Old Testament rebelled against God constantly, and things didn't go well for them. They were still God's people. They were still being made holy. God had designated them as holy. They weren't acting holy, but they were still God's people, even in rebellion. And in rebellion, they lacked 
access to grace. They didn't receive the grace that was theirs by God. And when they obeyed, things went well. God displayed more glimpses of his grace and goodness to them to the point that it would wrap them up like a blanket. And friends, I want us to see this because I I don't want us to, I mean, this is where the prosperity gospel just ignores the gospel and and messes up everything because people then begin to be motivated by, well, I want to do right by God so that I get lots of money. I want to do right by God so that I'll excel in my career. And it's all about me, 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 and Jesus is a Pez dispenser just giving me what I need and want. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible's like, look, man, blessing is the state of receiving grace from a loving father. And so that, that is what it means to obey. It's like, wow, I just I want to do, do well as a Christian because I'm accepted by God in Christ. I just want to enjoy, I just want to enjoy a connection to the Father, you know? I want to enjoy having the grace, the good news of Jesus massage into my heart and into my life in every area. And this is what I love, man. Jesus teaches on this. He knew he would, right? Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus starts proclaiming good news about the kingdom of God, right? Hundreds of years later, God's people in Deuteronomy are like, all right, we want you know, God's kingdom on earth to happen. We want to be able, I mean, God says it's going to establish people holy, and we want to have access to blessing. And then Jesus says, boom, here I am. I'm God incarnate. And he starts proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. Listen to what he says, like first sermon. He's just like, let me, let me preach this. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice! Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Friends, you see that? As God lays out blessing to Israel in Deuteronomy 28, saying, hey, you are my people, you are holy, I want you to obey, because in that obedience you have access to grace, my grace being wrapped around you like a blanket. Jesus comes on, uses that same terminology and imagery on the Sermon on the Mount and says, hey, look, I want you to obey. This is my kingdom as my people. Your obedience lets you see what blessedness is like. I'm going to wrap you up like a blanket when you are poor in spirit. I'm going to wrap grace around you like a blanket when you mourn, when you're meek, when you hunger and thirst for righteousness, when you are merciful, when you're pure in heart, if there's a peacemaker, when you are persecuted, when you are reviled, On my account, I want you to rejoice. You know why? Because you have a blanket of grace all over you. That's good news. At no point does Jesus say, blessed are those who park their little holy selves in a garage and don't get out there and relate to anybody. Blessed are those who wipe their holiness with a little cloth diaper. No, I mean, he's like, you belong to me. You get out there, you're going to get scratched, dented, breathed on wrong, but you belong to me. And I will wrap you up with a blanket of my grace. And that is good news. It's good news for me, don't you think? Good news for you. That's why Jesus says rejoice and be glad. 
So I want us to see holiness connected to blessing through obedience. And finally, this last nugget that we can't forget is gospel influence because God tells his people, Israel, hey, I want you to keep my commandments, walk in all my ways. All, I love this, verse 10. All the peoples of the earth shall see that you were called by the name of the Lord. All the nations of the earth, that's a lot of nations, will see God's people are called by his name. They will see that they belong to God through the holiness that's established by God for them, through the obedience that is fueled by God's grace and manifests through blessings of of being wrapped up in the grace of God. They will see, all the nations of the earth will see. I mean, it's even laid out more specifically. Verse 7, the Lord will cause your enemies to rise against you to be defeated. Boom. Boom. Verse 10, others will see. Verse 12, the Lord will open his good treasury to the heavens to give rain to your land in a season and bless all the work of your hands and you shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. If you read the rest of Deuteronomy 28, you see the the converse flip side of what happens through disobedience. You will see that disobedience brings constant Conflict. It brings frustration with work, frustration with family, frustration with the fields and with the herds, frustration with influence amongst other cultures. It actually brings defeat and ultimately death. So I would encourage you to go with obedience, motivated by the grace of God, because he's marked you as holy, because he commands you to obey so that he can wrap you up with grace Blessings, blankets. So I want to ask us this. What does this mean for us in Christ? In Christ, we are designated as holy. In Christ, we are truly blessed. In Christ, we have a holy influence. Therefore, we are to obey. So what does this mean for us? Just wrap it up with a couple specific things. Because I didn't want to just throw a bunch of stuff about holiness and blessing and obedience and influence for the gospel. Like those are all good things. We try to talk about them often here because they're all biblical, but I want us to do some specific things really quick. Because this is a very, very fair, common question to say, well, what specifically are we to obey? Like if I'm holy, if God has made me a holy person, if he's making us holy people, and of course we want to experience the grace of God through blessing, and of course we want to influence our gospel, our culture with the gospel. I mean, we want others to look in and see that we are called by the name of the Lord. So what specifically are we to obey? I have honest questions all the time. People are like, do we need to obey the anti-bacon law in Leviticus? No. Bacon. We have... Constant questions like that that are good questions about bacon, about tattoos, about sexuality, about family, about generosity, about religious ceremonial structure. Those are good questions. But, but I'm just going to give you three specific Jesus commands for us to go with. And I want us, I want us to do them. I want us to do them not so that we can achieve holiness, but because I believe if you are a Christian, the gospel of Jesus is changing you, and the Bible makes very clear that if you belong to Jesus, that you, you are to live like you belong to Jesus, that we are to obey commands because we are declared holy in Christ, and, and because we are receiving uh, the, the grace of God 
through blessing and we want to have influence. And, and I, I, want to, I want to do that, man. I want, you know. So here's a couple things we do motivated by the gospel. Three examples. Just three. There's a lot more, but here's three. First, repent and believe the gospel. Jesus says this, Mark 1, 14 and 15. After John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So that's a command from Jesus. Repent and believe in the gospel. Jesus says, hey, the kingdom is at hand. All of that Deuteronomy 28 stuff about being a people made holy unto God who will obey to access blessing and have influence in the cultures around them. That's all coming to fruition now because I'm on the scene. That's Jesus saying that, saying, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Repentance means to turn from sin, from idols, from something, and also to turn to Jesus. It's not enough to turn from drugs just to turn to alcohol <laughs> or to turn from alcohol to turn to this program. or to tur- Repentance means to turn from a way of thinking and a way of living and to turn to Jesus. This is something that can happen one time. If you are not a Christian, I'm going to ask you right now, in light of the commands of the Lord, to repent of your disbelief and to believe in Jesus. I want you to do that. That's, that's why we're here. But secondly, repentance and belief is an ongoing rhythm for any Christian. The second you sin is the second you stop believing the gospel. So you need to repent of sinning. You need to repent of disbelief and doubt. It's what God told Israel to do time and time again is to repent, believe, repent, believe. So I'm going to ask you to repent of the sin in your life and to believe in the gospel. I'm going to do that right now I'm from myself. I've had one of the worst weeks of my life. My week was full of doubt, was full of curse words, was full of angry conversations with people who were slandering me, who were accusing me, blah, 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 blah. And then I'm reading like Matthew 5 thinking, wait a second, (laughs) blessed are you when others like say bad things about you. So like rejoice because Jesus will wrap you up with a blanket of grace. So I'm repenting before you right now that this week I didn't believe that. And rather than rejoicing and being glad, I despaired and said curse words and told my wife I was going to chop down every tree in our backyard because I was so mad. My wife is so sweet. My kids were like, how, how can we help you, Dad? So I'm just publicly repenting. I'm repenting that I did not believe the gospel many times this week. I believed the lies that holiness was defined by what big vocabulary words I learned in seminary that I wasn't using, and that's baloney. I did not believe the gospel when I believed that my identity was based on the job I had or the title I had or the ordination certificate that's going to be given to me or whatever, and that's a lie. I did not believe the gospel, so I'm repenting of that before you. And I have repented numerous times before my wife and my father has helped me this week. And my family has come around and prayed over me and said, Jeremy, you're forgetting the gospel. Life is a little hard right now. There's a couple of struggles you guys are dealing with. But you know, God's good. You belong to Jesus. Believe the gospel. 
In the gospel that is in Christ, I am accepted. In Christ, I am loved. In Christ, I have been marked as a person for God's kingdom, for God's purposes. Sometimes I don't know what those purposes are, but God does, and I'm trusting him. And so that is one example of how to repent and believe the gospel. I'm going to do another one for you. So I'm, just, I'm, not, I'm not trying to air my laundry at all. I'm just trying to lead by example and show you that I am, I'm just a guy, a broken man who Jesus saves because he has a sense of humor, and he's very gracious. And if God can save this idiot, he can save anybody from anything. All right, secondly, I want you to know this. The first command is repent and believe the gospel. Do that. Repent and believe the gospel. Secondly, love God and love others. It's a great commandment, right? Matthew 22, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Jesus said that when religious people said, what's the greatest commandment? We want to keep, the religious people said, we want to keep the greatest commandments to achieve our own holiness. And Jesus says, you're missing the point. Holiness is found in me. Here's what you should do because of that. Love the Lord your God and love other people. That's a command. Are you loving God with your whole heart? Are you loving others as you love yourself? Friends, I did not this week. I was not loving God with my whole heart. I was loving my reputation. I was loving my identity that was found in something else. I was not loving my neighbors because they were really ticking me off. And so I had to repent and believe the gospel and go back and talk to my neighbor. You guys probably think I'm the worst neighbor because I'm always talking about how I, I really like my neighbors. I hate their cats, but I like my neighbors. Their, their cats are the issue. I hope, I hope my neighbors come to this church one day. <laughs> but I was not loving my neighbors well. I was not loving other believers well. I was not uh, loving non-believers well this week, so I had to repent of that. And so that's a command that I need to obey because God in Christ loves me and accepts me. And therefore, we are to love and accept others. We're to love God first and love others. So how are you doing that in your life? Are you loving God with your whole heart, mind, soul, strength? Are you loving your neighbor as yourself? Thirdly, thirdly, last command. You guys like to-do items, right? This is your homework. Repent and believe. Love God, love others. We could end church forever with this. (laughs) Repent, believe, love God, love others. Make disciples. Number three, that's the command. Make disciples. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, the Great Commission. Jesus says this, like his last instruction in Matthew is, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Okay. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Great. The Great Commission. Make disciples, teaching them all that I have commanded you. You know what he commanded us? To repent and believe. That's why I'm trying to teach you as an act of discipleship to repent and believe by showing example of that. Love God, love others, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I love that statement. That's just a reminder of the gospel of grace like a blanket. I'm with you. I'm with you. Get out there. Take your red Ferrari, get out there, get dented, get scratched, get breathed on wrong, get blown up. I am with you. So friends, can you imagine what would happen if we were a people saying, we see our holiness is defined by who God is and what he's done. And it's not what we do, but because we trust of who Jesus is and what he's done for us, making us holy, we are going to get out there in obedience. We're going to do it wrong at times, but we're going to get out there in obedience and constantly repent and believe in the gospel, constantly 
love God and love others. Constantly get out there and make disciples. Can you imagine what would happen in our communities if we did these three things? Just these three. Eat bacon. I don't care. Argue theology about blah, blah, blah. But do these three things, and I think God would wreck all of us to be a truly humble, holy people. You can't be holy and arrogant. I don't care. You just can't. I think God would change us to be a humble, holy people as a community experiencing great joy. I think he would give us great influence where you work, where you live, where you go to school, where you hang out, where you drink coffee. I think he would give great influence for the gospel down here. Can you imagine what would happen if we were a people characterized by ongoing repentance, belief, love for God, love for others, and disciple-making? I'm not going to drop the mic because I don't have $50 to replace it. So here's what I'm going to ask us to do. The past couple weeks, we've done something called a 60-second takeaway. I want you to take 60 seconds to think about what God is prompting you to do. Do you need to repent and believe for the first time and become a Christian? You come up here and talk to me, and I'll pass this mic to somebody. I'll pass this mic to somebody. And you come talk to me, and we'll talk about becoming a Christian if you need to repent and believe for the first time. If you need to ongoingly repent of something, you can do that privately, or you can, believe, you can do that with somebody you trust and love in this room. Or you can come grab me, and we'll, we'll talk about repentance and belief. If you need help loving God and loving others, do that. If you need help saying, how do I make disciples? What's my role in that? We can help you figure out what that is, because we all have a role in that. Take 60 seconds and think about what your takeaway is. And after you leave here today, I would encourage you to look in your bulletin. We have these, those three specific questions for reflection marked down for you in your bulletin. Take those, think about them, and pray about them. As we enter a time of response, um, the worship team is going to come lead us through musical worship. You can stand and sing and worship that way. You can kneel, you can pray, you can meditate, you can continue to think through these things. Um, we also will have before you Uh, opportunity for the Lord's Supper. If you are a believer, we encourage you to participate in dipping the bread and the wine or the juice to remember who Jesus is and what he's done for you. We have wine and juice as cultural sensitive options for you. If you're not a wine person, please use the juice. If you have dietary restrictions and over here in this cup, we have gluten-free option uh, with a wafer. And so please use that if you are, um, if you have dietary restrictions that require that. Um, I will read from Matthew uh, 26. I'm sorry, yes, Matthew 26. As Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, as they were eating, Jesus took the bread after blessing it, broke it, and said to the disciples, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to him, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of this vine until that day I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And so as we enter a time of reflection, if you are a believer, we invite you to participate in that way. Uh, If you are not a believer, we ask that you just stay where you are and reflect on the concept of what it means to repent and believe in the gospel. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you that you are a good and holy God. God, that out of your grace and holiness, you choose to make your people a holy 
people for your own possession who are zealous for good works. So God, I pray that you would posture our hearts for us constantly to be humble recipients of your grace. God, that we would find our holiness rooted in who you are and what you've done, not based on our resume for good or for ill. God, I pray that we would be fueled by your Holy Spirit to obey your commandments because of your grace. And God, that in so doing, we would be constantly reminded through um, your goodness to us that we are recipients of grace, not only in this life, but in the next, as you have promised through your word, Jesus. And God, I ask that you would fuel us on to repent and believe, to love God and love others, and God, to make disciples. Lord, give us wisdom with what that looks like. Give us joy. Give us passion. Um, God, I pray that you would give us great grace toward each other as believers and great grace toward non-Christians so that they could look in and say, wow, God is doing something there. And so, Lord, I pray that you do all of these things for your glory and our joy and that the good name of Jesus would be made known, known to all the nations. We ask in his holy name. Amen.